And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I do have to tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io. If you are looking for a team to help you build out a software team, if you want to do that quickly and affordably, uh, Fullscale is definitely the way to go. Check them out at Fullscale.io. So today we have with us a founder. I, I'm so excited to talk about this founder because I, I think for those of you who listen to, to my episodes of Startup Hustle, you know that I have a deep, deep love and a deep, deep respect for conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that one of the most impactful things and the most impactful ways that we can measure the health of our organizations is by seeing who's at the table. But there's that key word, that measure piece. And I think a lot of organizations, they don't necessarily know how to measure their success around DEI efforts and true inclusion. And so today we have with us Lisa Russell. Lisa is co-founder and CEO of Alaria, and she's going to take us on a little bit of a journey to talk about ways that we can, we can measure our success when it comes to making sure that we have representative leadership and making sure that our organizations are truly inclusive. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. Hello, everyone. So excited to be here. I think it's never too early to be having these conversations. So I'm excited to be joining you all and hopefully um, helping you figure out how to really think about inclusion in your workplace, regardless of the, the size of your company, whether you're a startup or a large organization. Um, yeah, let's let's get into it. I know. Let's let's hop right in. So, so the first question I'm going to ask you, Lisa, and I, 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 I'm going to throw you a little bit of a softball, but I'm just going to ask you, you know, tell us about your journey. Like, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about Alaria. Um, I, I want to hear more. I need to hear more. I'm so yeah. excited. Certainly. I Let's see, about myself. I think a good place to start is just to say, like, I'm a social impact entrepreneur. The things I care about is really uh, trying to drive impact at scale and solving some of the the world's greatest problems. That's that's the kind of thing that excites me as a person. And so uh, working at Alaria, I've been working with my team uh, for the last almost four years now. And it's just, um, it's the perfect uh, kind of combination of those things. I'm able to use technology, but really use technology to help drive change in the world. And so that's that's the most exciting thing about what I'm doing now and, and uh, the, the ability of like my career path and journey to unfold in a way that's uh, fulfilling for me personally. But if we were to get into a little more of the you know nuts and bolts of it, you know, I started in finance and um, worked for a number of tech startups in uh, the Chicago area and have moved quite a bit, uh, like a bunch since, but um, the journey has, has brought me here and I'm so thankful for it. That, is, that, that sounds awesome. So, so talk to us 
a little bit about how you came to DEI work. I'm really curious about that. Like, I, I think you have a little bit of a background in startups, and it sounds like you have a true entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which is awesome. We love that around Startup <laughs> Hustle. But how does how did that translate for you on your journey uh, in DEI work? Yeah, I think like many things, it starts with personal experiences, and um, you know, those the awareness of. Um, lack of equality, the awareness of barriers um, ha- happened maybe particularly early in my life, um, you know, throwing a lot out, you know, really quickly, but I, I had a, an interesting upbringing. Uh, my parents went to prison um, pretty young in, in my life, uh, and I ended up having to, you know, kind of face the, the reality when I was uh, 19 years old that, you know, people's expectations of me and my siblings uh, shifted really quickly. Uh, we noticed that, you know, the systems, the infrastructure, the friends that that were really close to us and, and aligned and uh, available to us at the time immediately seemed to shift. Um, and, you know, things like, oh, like, do, do you even need to go to college? You know, started to being questions. And uh, right. it really rubbed me, you know, in, in a way that uh, maybe put a chip on my shoulder, you know, if you will. You know, it made me think like, oh, wow, like. I see that folks expect less of me. I don't like that. And I'm going to prove them all wrong, right? So very young, I became determined to um, overcome barriers, overcome people's limited expectations of me, uh, but uh, stepped into finance and um, you know, certainly was doing that, was working hard, trying to prove everyone um, that I could be this incredible um, you know, business person, whatever that looked like at the moment, and uh, you know, found myself being in my early 20s and um, in offices, you know, full of men, mostly double my age, and and yet working my way up the ladder successfully, and so you know was very aware of the fact that uh, you know the diversity metrics of these organizations did not quite look great, um, sure. but didn't know how to change it, didn't know what to do about it, and then when I shifted into tech startups you know, um, seeing a lot of the same things, it took a little bit more action and said, you know, I really want to see um, a support network. I really want to be surrounded by incredible women doing incredible things and um, want to learn from folks who have been through this before. And uh, so started actually proactively building those networks. And so my first real step into doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work actually took shape as community building. Um, I helped found an organization in Chicago that was uh, really looking to uh, empower uh, women uh, and other underrepresented folks as it related to entrepreneurship by providing, you know, networks and community and connection and education and resources. And um, it's always been a side thing for me, right? So even then it was, you know, something I did in the after hours, you know, of, of my job or did on the weekends yeah. or, you know, put together, uh, but it was always something that, that fueled me and felt good. And um, I just so happened to be in a space where, now, you know, I, I came back from um, somewhere in between there. I also did a social impact fellowship and was able to support a bunch of entrepreneurs um, in raising capital in Rwanda and came back and, and was, you know, convinced, like, I've got to find a better way to align, you know, this this passion, this need to drive change in the world with my actual day-to-day job. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's more those personal experiences that allowed me to gain comfort and like confidence in the fact that it could be um, something I do for a living as well. That's absolutely incredible. And as you're talking, I like I, I felt so much recognition. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but Innovate Her, like that, uh, the like what you're speaking to, the inequities that female and marginalized founders experience. That was that was the whole deal. Like yeah. that's why we started. 
uh, you know, because because I would look around and, you know, I, I've been involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Kansas City for almost a decade now. Uh, and I would look around and I would say, you know, I, I love these people. I love this community, but this community was not built for me. Right. And so and, and people who look like me and people who think like me and act like me. And so how what can we do to circumvent that? What can we do to address the systemic issues that perpetuate that? Um, and so what's been really interesting, I think, on my journey, um, and probably a little bit of yours as well, is this dawning social consciousness around DEI efforts. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what you see there. Um, I mean, I, I personally feel, and correct me if, if you feel differently, but I am hearing conversations and I am seeing people working to address issues that even five years ago, we wouldn't have been having these conversations around systemic bias and or systemic oppression and unconscious bias. And how do we, uh, you know, encourage representative leadership? So, so what are your thoughts there? Have you kind of seen a, a shift or, or, you know, what, what are you seeing there? Yeah, it's it's a wonderful question and it's it's exciting to be able to even acknowledge that we are making progress just by looking at the conversations that are being had. I still think that there's a long way to go even with the most basic things, but oh, if we were to, yeah, if we were to look at the the conversations we were having, the things we were aiming for and the uh, shifts we were looking to accomplish, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the reality is that our lens of representation and diversity and access was was skewed and limited. You know, it was focused primarily on you know, can we increase the number of women, or can we increase, um, you know, maybe if if you're in the right communities, can we increase the representation of you know people of color or black folks in the, in this community, right? Um, we've evolved that conversation, thankfully, to be much more inclusive, you know, uh, whereas we're yeah. not looking at it as a, a gender binary, we're not looking at, you know, uh, we're including racism and and things that need to be addressed in the conversations and calling them out as we see them. We're talking about accessibility, we're talking about what it means to be um, an, an individual with a disability, whether it's an invisible or, or visible disability, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the list of things goes on, you know, whether it's like religion, whether it's um, socioeconomic status, you know, and the fact that we can even start to understand that each of us are individuals that are much more complex than, than just a, a gender binary, you know, um, label is exciting. But yeah. Uh, we have a long way to go. Um, and uh, it's exciting that we're even able to have those conversations. But I think uh, what, what makes me even more excited about the work is that we're getting past conversations. It's like, great, we need to you know, find the language, we need to find the vocabulary, we need to have the right goals as a community, we need to align in terms of like how we're going to move forward. But we need to actually take action. <laughs> you know, it's like, sure. we can't just have the conversation. And right. um, thankfully, we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely a lot of power in having, a, for instance, like a shared lexicon. Like, how yes. do we talk about these issues? That's really important. And it's really important that these ideas and these goals are coming to the forefront. But that being said, you know, just because we're talking about it doesn't mean that that action is actually happening. And so I'm going to I'm going to give a well, you know what, we're, we're going to go down a little conversation conversational rabbit hole. I am forewarning you that I'm going to bring it back to the work. But okay. something that I kind of wanted to talk about uh, is the fact that I find it really interesting. You know, I think that there was, there's, there's a period of time where when you're, when you're first introduced to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you start to think about it, 
I, I think that there's this understanding that you want to get people in the door, you know, get, you know, let's hire people who don't look, think and act like this. Let's, you know, let, let's do that. But then there's, there's a second part of the conversation that I'm only just now starting to see. And that is once you get those people in the door, how do you set them up for success? How do you make sure that your systems and your structures um, that you have in place, that they are not further marginalizing the people that you brought in and creating environments where they're not ready to succeed? Or, you know, conversely, like we have that the another second part, like a second, third, fourth part of the conversation <laughs> is, okay, you know, we have these people in the door, but just as a, for instance, you know, when we talk about women, um, you know, I'm starting to see more women in the C-suite, but I don't know that I'm starting to see more women in strategic positions in the C-suite. Like you see a lot of HR direct, like chief HR uh, folks, you see a lot of, you know, chief, I don't know, marketing folks, but what about the CEOs? What about the COOs, CO, CFOs, you know, the more, um, I guess, strategic roles. And so, so talk to us a little bit about that. You know, there, there is the, the kind of palliative, like band-aid, hire as many people of color, hire as many women, hire as many yeah. LGBTQIA individuals as possible. But then what's that next step? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because um, when we're looking at how people define success in this work, um, that's really what needs to shift. And, you know, it's something that we talk a lot about in our work is that we think that a lot of folks are, are investing in the wrong piece of the puzzle, or at least they're prioritizing, you know, the wrong initiatives to be able to achieve what they're actually looking to accomplish. Uh, and, and, you know, in different industries and in different work, it's like, you know, we, we call these things like vanity metrics. And, you know, even in the startup space, it's like how many startups are are tracking their success by like, how many people came to my website? And like, what does that mean? That's like, that's not, that's the wrong metric of success. Right. And in this work, it's just the same, you know, we need to figure out what is the right metric of success? Um, how do we know that we're making the progress that we're actually setting out to make? How do we make sure that folks are not just getting hired to your point, but they're actually coming in and being provided equal access and opportunities to, for growth within the organization, you know, equal access and opportunities to, you know, fair compensation and, and respect and just, you know, basic things that many other people are, are just rewarded, you know, on a daily basis uh, already. And so um, when we're talking about what to um, look at and what to measure, you know, that's what we've been able to uniquely do and not to like, you know, fast forward the conversation and, and, and talk about Alaria too much too early, but we, we essentially measure inclusion and that's what sets us apart is that we're helping organizations and other, you know, in, um, ecosystems understand what it means to, to create the environment that they need to create to be able to retain folks. Um, you know, it's not enough in my mind to increase the representation of, um, you know, women or the representation of, you know, uh, people of color or the representation in any regards in your organization, in any department uh, by 1% or 2% or 5% even, right? That is a, a, a metric that shows progress. It shows that you're trending in the right direction, um, but it can be a vanity metric in that, you know, sure. one, it's only going to evolve as quickly as you're hiring and firing in your organization. So it, it, it means that you can, can stall your work year to year and just kind of like be like, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's try again for another year. Um, like That's the wrong way, the wrong approach. But But it also means that to your point, we don't know if those folks are having the same experience and the same, um, you know, uh, opportunities presented to them. And that's what we really yeah. need to understand in order to truly drive the change that we want to see. And so uh, we're helping essentially 
quantify something that up to date has been very difficult to understand. Inclusion is 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 human. It's messy. It's it's about experiences. It's about people and their personalities. And everyone, you know, you, we hear these things about you know bringing your full self to work, and it's like, what does that mean? Uh, and and it's just it's really hard to quantify. And so what we've been able to do is make that something that is tangible and trackable and measurable, so that folks can really say, okay, we know that we're having these day to day experiences. We know where there's opportunities to drive change in terms of those day to day experiences, and we know that by Improving the day-to-day experiences of our employees in our context, um, that we're going to create a more successful business because those folks are going to be more likely to stay. Um, they're not going to, you know, um, they're not going to churn as quickly. They're not going to, um, you know, they're going to work very efficiently. They're going to be creative. They're going to be excited about the work, and all of that leads to positive outcomes, both for the individual and for the organization as a whole. Um, so, you know, it is is. As we're talking about metrics, you know, that's that's what excites us is the fact that we're trying to, to shift the narrative. And, you know, we'll often say we're trying to change the way people think about diversity and inclusion, but more importantly, what they do about it. You know, and like right. that's that that whole underlying thing back to what we were talking about earlier is just like, how do we how do we get people to move to act? Yeah. Well, and I you said something really, really profound. And I just I wanna I'm gonna make a point here. And then we're probably going to move quickly off of it because we have so many other things that I, I want to pick your brain about. But so so as a, for instance, around the Innovator KC tables, one of the things that we talk about is having the right conversations. And I, I'll, I'll give you a for instance. So like back in 2019, everybody got really, really excited about the 100 year anniversary of the day that women got the vote, you know, suffrage. Uh, everybody was super, super psyched about it. And the fact is, that's not the right, like, I, we were very excited, of course, but that's not the right conversation because the fact is white women got the vote a hundred years right. ago, but it took, you know, decades for indigenous women, for black women, for Asian women to, to, to have secure the right to vote. And so when we're having these conversations or when we're talking about wage inequity, everybody throws around that, you know, 80 cents on the dollar number. But the fact is that number significantly drops when you're talking about black women or, you know, Hispanic women or, and so, so you have to stop and you have to ask yourself when we are talking about these issues, are we coming at them the right way? And are we making sure that in our quest for inclusivity, that we are truly talking about everyone's experience, that we're not prioritizing someone one experience over another. Right. And so I just I wanted to make that point because I think that it it we see it at every level of society. We see it in every vertical. We see it all over the place. And so so what I want to ask you because uh, I, I was coming to a point. I wanted to make the point, but now I have a question. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> so so when we're talking about measurable inclusion, what is the what are the right questions? Mm. What are the things that we need to be asking ourselves to make sure that we're setting up our teams for success and that we're setting up our organizations for success? Because, and this is for our folks listening at home, I really need you to know that, you know, true inclusion, it, I, I say this all the time, true inclusion will always take more people, more resources, more money, and more time. However, everybody gets, I think that's really daunting to people when they when they think about that like doing the work it costs whether that is you know people money time whatever it is it costs but that being said you will realize significant benefit if you put in the work um it it is it is a proven fact that 
organizations that have diverse teams, inclusive diverse teams, see greater returns. It is to your benefit, even though it looks like a lot of hard work, it is to your benefit to have these conversations early, to have them often, to set that culture and to do that work. So, so I'm going to ask you, that, that, that was a lot. I just threw a lot at you. No, I appreciate I'm, it. I'm like, I need to bring you on a, a tour for all of my clients. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's just I, like, I, I cannot stress it enough because I, I actually, I personally know individuals who have come to me and said, Lauren, it's just so expensive. We can't afford it. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't afford not to. So, exactly. so let's just table that piece of the discussion right there, blow it out the water because no, you have to do it. Um, so, so let's go ahead Let's talk about the right metrics. Sure. What are the things that you are measuring? What are the things that you are looking at? What are the questions that you ask yourself when, when you are trying to help the organizations that you work with create a truly inclusive, inclusive environment and culture? It's, it's a great question. And you said so many things that I like I want to address. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to find know, a way like, to weave well, it all you, in. You, you keep like, doing that to me so too. Much. Like I have all of this stuff that I'm like, no, but I want to say it, but I have to say it. Darn it. Yeah. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. There's, there's so many directions to take this conversation. I, I would like to start if I may, I, I, I hear that the actual question has to do with the right metrics and I will get there. I, um, if I yes. don't, Tell me. Um, take, but, take, us, take us all the way back. You yeah, know, give us a 10,000 foot view, whatever you need. <laughs> I want to uh, just make sure that we're specifically addressing the idea of the fact that uh, creating an inclusive work environment is expensive. It's hard work. It requires resources. It requires all of these things, right? Um, that, is, that is true. You know, it, it, it is an investment. It is something that has to be prioritized. It will pay off. But I also want to provide just a, a maybe a different lens um, to look at that, um, if I may. Oftentimes, when we're in um, conversations with client organizations and we're we're talking to groups of employees, right? We're already we're already in the client. You know, we're not trying to sell anything. We're not, the executives are on board. We're just we're trying to talk to the employees about their role and why it's important to them and why why we're trying to give them voice in the moment and and how their participation is going to lead to a greater um, work experience for themselves, right? And um, during that conversation, one of the things that we tend to talk about is the fact that the ways to move forward as it relates to inclusion are many. They uh, relate not only to the decisions that the organization makes as a whole in terms of policy, in terms of uh, work setting, in terms of processes, right? Like those are the things that are a little bit harder to shift, that take investment, that take um, you know outside help to make sure you're navigating correctly. But it also has so much to do with the day-to-day -day experiences of employees. The greater sense of inclusion that we're feeling comes down to people, not policy. Our research time and time again shows that it is people, not policy, that is the issue. And we know this through the data that we collect, which I will get, you know, it will all relate to the metrics we're capturing and, and how we're measuring inclusion. Um, but the ability, the, the way that we collect data allows us to understand what is the source of exclusion in this moment that you're describing. If you're saying something like, I often get interrupted in meetings and we're like, that is a moment where you're feeling excluded. Who or what is causing you to feel excluded in that sure. moment? And you might be thinking like, right, it's it's the it's a this peer that always interrupts me, or it's my direct manager that doesn't manage the conversation to make sure I'm heard, or you know whatever it might yeah. be in your experience. So you're going to let us know what that source of exclusion is. That enables us to really understand in organizations where do we need to target the right initiatives. I say all of that because 
if we're all investing in creating more inclusive environments, it comes down not only to those the, the infrastructure, the systemic issues, the processes, the policies, all of these things, but it comes down to how we treat individuals and it comes yeah. down to those individual interactions. And so while it's expensive to overhaul an entire organization and to invest in the right things and to create systems, we can create opportunities for folks to feel more included by simply as individuals asking ourselves, what can I do today? to make one person feel a little more included. And if each of us were to do that, my goodness, the needle would be moving so much faster because each of us would be creating those moments to shift the perspective of of uh, an individual's day-to-day experiences in an organization or in a community that much faster. You can, you can face a, a moment of discrimination or a moment of bias or a barrier differently if you know that the people around you support you and care about you and want to hear your experience and are including you and believe in you right and so yeah. just just know that um let's let's start with that that point is that yes it's it's an investment but also just do your part as an individual and and we'll sure. see a massive in, in, like outcome well um, and and so so there's that that saying out there that people leave people don't leave jobs people leave managers exactly. and and i i firmly believe that to be true mm-hmm. and and that is i i am saying all of this with the firm understanding that as a woman yes i have experienced bias i have experienced you know i've had people talk over me in meetings i've always been the note taker at meetings you know all all of that stuff that you think about but i'm also speaking from a place of enormous privilege, um, you know, as a, a white heteronormative presenting, uh, woman, you know, I think that, that we first need to acknowledge that, um, that this conversation that we're having, you know, yes. you have to, you have to examine yourself and you have to say, I experience this. I do not experience this. I can empathize with this situation, but I, I do not experience this situation. So, so I think that that's really important too. Uh, I do have to break in. I've been so, I'm so like, you, you should see me right now. Like I have this big old grin on my face because we're just talking about so many important things and you're, you're doing it in such a lovely way, Lisa. I do need to break in and just let y'all know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And I would also like to tell you, and this is super impressive to me, that the Fullscale team, their development team, um, they have a really, really high incidence of female developers. And that is all to Matt DeCourcy's credit um, and the full scale team's credit. And so it's one of the reasons that I am proud to talk about them as a sponsor of the Startup Hustle podcast. They do a really great job there. Okay. Love it. So, so sorry about that. I had, no, I, had love it. I, got, I got distracted. Uh, but back to it, we are talking to uh, Lisa Russell with Alaria, and we're talking about diversity and inclusion and metrics and all kinds of stuff. So, so Lisa, Take it away. This is your platform, my friend. You are you are killing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the place I would like to like pick up and, and kind of um, further you know discuss is is really talking about like the metrics. Like, what should people be measuring? Yeah. Um, and I think that um, often an analogy is helpful to kind of connect the dots between what we're talking about. We're talking about you know um, the fact that people are influencing other folks' perspective or perception of inclusion in an organization, right? It's not just the company, it's not just policies and processes, but individual day-to-day experiences. And so we as an organization, uh, as Alaria, are collecting specific moments that are causing folks to feel excluded. We are measuring inclusion through exclusion. Um, but this is often helpful to understand in an analogy, as I said. So if I, if I might just paint a quick picture, um, you know, that has to do with healthcare. Uh, we, we're all, you know, relatively familiar with the the experience of going to the doctor. 
And when you go to the doctor, you know, you're, you're completing forms and every single time you're, you feel like you're completing the same forms and you're like, haven't I provided this information before? Like, why am I filling out the same information again and again? But there's a bit of brilliance in one of those sections of forms. And it's, it's asking you, what are the symptoms you're facing? You know, what are the um, illnesses you've faced? And it's a, a long list of things that you can like check yes or no. And half of them, you're like, I don't even know what this is. So I'm guessing no, you know, it's like <laughs> this whole experience, right? But the reality is like, that is exactly what it's like when we're looking at measuring inclusion in the workplace. We're trying to understand, even though there's a long list of experiences that you as one individual may not have awareness of, you may not know what they mean, you may have never faced them. We're putting them in that list and we're trying to understand who is experiencing each of these quote unquote symptoms so that we can properly diagnose an organization and then try to come out with a treatment plan that is custom to try to get you you know, further along and feeling better. Right. And so that's yeah. exactly what we're trying to do, but we're, we're trying to understand those symptoms. And that, so that when we're talking about like what to measure and what we measure as an organization, we're trying to say, Hey, employees, let us know exactly what are those moments that are making you feel excluded? Yeah. And then they'll organize them into our, our a framework that we've developed to help us like understand it and help it be, you know, more powerful from like a data perspective. So we have a framework that we call the categories of inclusion. So we're looking at nine specific types of experiences, but we first capture it in their own words. So that's where they're going to say something like, I feel like I got passed over for a promotion because I have kids. And so I don't come into work until eight 30, but the culture here is like people start at eight, you know, and it's, right. it's, it's this, this moment that's causing them to feel excluded as, as if they don't have access, you know, equal access to something. And so we're going to ask them to categorize that. And across those nine categories, we're looking at things like compensation and benefits, skills, use, respect, workplace interactions, um, work-life balance, whatever it might be. So they'll categorize it. They'll flag that source that we talked to earlier. Like in this example, who or what is causing you to feel excluded? And then, you know, fast forward, we collect hundreds and thousands of these moments that have caused folks to feel excluded. And what that does is it provides us a lens of basically like a heat map. And I wish I, you know, if, if we had visuals, I would be painting pictures right now. But like, um, you know, picture a heat map where we're saying in this organization, here's where we're seeing the hotspots of moments of exclusion, which sure. to me translates to the biggest opportunity to drive inclusion exists here. Um, right. If we can just change the experiences that folks are having as it relates to leadership and respect, or as it relates to peers and you know skills use, wh wherever it might exist as a, as a crosshair, that's where we dig in and we try to understand what is happening, how do we shift it? Now, as an organization, you may be saying like, okay, but how do I do this? It's, it's really the, the, the lesson or the thing that we're trying to understand in terms of um, measuring inclusion is like, where are the opportunities to drive greater inclusion? What are the day-to-day -day experiences? Because the reality is that we're all going to have a different sense of, of what's happening in the organization based on our own personal experiences and our own personal identity. And inclusion is invisible. We say inclusion is invisible, particularly to those who enjoy it the most. So if right. I am, you know, of a, a privileged identity in an organization, a majority demographic in an organization, I may not have a sense of what's happening and the experiences of other individuals in the organization. And that's what we have to bring to light. You have to understand what's happening beyond your own personal experience and understand where those opportunities exist. Um, yeah. And, and I, I would love to kind of connect the dots uh, to this, this idea of like different folks have different experiences. One of the key ways um, that we look at the data and surface opportunities is that we're, we'll say things like, right, we have all this demographic and representation and satisfaction data from employees. We link it to these experiences of exclusion. But the way that we're looking at it is, is we might say, 
hey, when we're looking at compensation and benefits, interesting, um, we noticed that it's not high in the list in terms of the, the biggest category, but we noticed that there's a gap in experience for folks who have a disability. So yeah. like, we need to get everyone at a baseline so that we can all move up together. So like an opportunity, even though it may not be the, the biggest thing that's coming to the surface in terms of the number of experiences of exclusion, there is a gap in that experience based on identity. And so we want to make sure like, oh, what, do, what do we need to do here to make sure that like, at least we correct that gap um, for in this example, you know, access to fair compensation for folks who have a disability. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's also an important, you know, measure is, is we get to the point where we start to look at like, you know, things on a Likert scale, you know, oh, I'm a 3.4, one quarter, and now we're a 4.2, ooh, progress. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what, where did you make progress? What did you change? Like, who, what, what does this, what does this actually uh, lead to, you know? Um, and that, that's not enough. Like, we really need to be looking at, like, what are we shifting specifically? And how are we being very, very intentional about it? Yeah. So, so I just want, like, we're, we're talking a lot about numbers and data and, and, and that's, that's great. Like, as I said, I, I think that a lot of organizations, the, the idea that you can measure something like true inclusion, it it seems a little bit foreign because to your, to your earlier point, you know, inclusion is about people. And so, so you have a lot of really powerful qualitative data that you can pull on that quantitative piece is I think where a lot of organizations struggle. How do we really dig down into that? But I, I do just want to, when we're talking about teams and we're talking about human beings, um, you know, so so as a, for instance, like I, I came up through male dominated industries. Our, our our listeners know that I worked in aerospace, IT, and automotive, three extremely heavily male dominated industries, and by and large, you know, had perfectly fine, neutral to positive experiences. But I also had some very very negative experiences that I feel were pretty gendered, and I remember, um, you know, I had started a new job and I had a boss, um, you know white man, lovely, but a lovely human being. And I remember on my first day of work, they were talking about something and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Lauren, what do you think? And I answered and he was like, oh, that's a really good idea. You know, what's the way that we could implement this? And I remember I had to excuse myself to go to the bathroom because I I wanted to cry and and I cried because it was so powerful to have a, a superior that was ready to not only listen to what I had to say and actively ask me what I thought, but then put something into into execution mode. And, and it was just, it's so powerful. So when we're talking about these moments in time that people experience, and when we're talking about pulling that information and that data and drilling down, I just, I want to equate that to a human experience. Um, when you are creating these moments in time, these these inclusive moments, you have the power to not only deeply affect your organization for the positive, but you're deeply affecting individuals and, and for the positive. I mean, think about when you go to work, isn't it just so much better when you feel valued and heard? Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and so, so I just... I did want to kind of honor that for a moment before we continue on with this metrics conversation. I, I don't think, um, I don't think many understand like how very powerful that the the work that you're doing has the potential to be. You can't solve a problem until you identify the problem, and you're doing so in a comprehensive, standardized way. Um, it's not subjective. This is objective evidence that you are drilling down on, but you're 
you're also able to translate that into an improved human experience. And that's a really beautiful yeah. thing. So, so way to go on the work <laughs> you're doing. I just yeah. wanted to take a moment to honor that. But then I wanted to ask you, as you drill down on these numbers, you know, what, when we talk about the work, and I, I told you we were going to come back to it, you know, you, so you have the data in hand and you have identified areas of opportunity and challenges that organizations are seeing. What then becomes the work once mm-hmm. you've identified the problems? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think um, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, we are trying to take something that is qualitative and and let it remain and live as something that's human centric right and and yet still make it quantitative so that we can track progress right it's like it's the combination it's that that balance it's like you never want to go too hard into just being like data centric and and trying to like move things by small you know fractions of numbers but rather at the same time you need to understand what they mean and and what those numbers symbolize right and so i i appreciate that note and and that we took a minute to just honor that even though we're talking about measuring, we're talking about measuring experiences and and focusing that on the fact that what we're trying to improve is the day to day experiences. But we're just happening happening to to make it easier to track and measure and hold people accountable by by throwing some some numbers on it, right? Um, but yeah, it's it, in terms of like what it looks like after we identify those areas of opportunity. Typically, we're making um, a few key recommendations based on their data. Uh, a couple of things to note there is like we we prioritize um, privacy and confidentiality and safety uh, in our process. So we never provide this information that we collect back to the organization. So the only insight they really have is based on our recommendations and our suggestions and and you know some general ways of looking at the data um, that we provide to them. But it's all with the lens of how do we make sure that we we protect the anonymity of the employees, but still give the organizations what they need to know where to focus. And right. so those rec- those recommendations and those suggestions and those areas are, you know, the powerful thing that the organization will will ca- will get and will act on. And typically, that's you know things like we're going to look at, um, you know, the categories that they should focus on. If there's any specific types of microaggressions that are occurring that need to be addressed. Um, if there are groups within the organization that are experiencing more experiences of exclusion than others, you know, we're going to flag those as, as the biggest areas that they need to focus on. And then we're going to make specific recommendations on how we think they can move the needle as it relates to that area and how to measure success as it relates to that. So while our um, collection of data and our way of organizing this information and our way of, of reporting it back is definitely, um, you know, streamlined and productized and, you know, you know, all the tech fancy words, um, on the other side of it, the output is actually still very human because we have to still use, you know, um, a thoughtful approach and saying like, what would actually work in the the context of this organization specifically? Uh, so it, it definitely comes down to being, um, the thing that, that, that they need, which is a one-off, you know, recommendation list that is specific to their organization. Uh, and I think that supports something I said earlier, which is just, we have this strong belief that that there is not a silver bullet solution to this work. You cannot move forward um, by just, you know, implementing a, a packaged program. Um, it's just not going to be as effective. Yeah. Well, so, so of course, um, you know, being who I am and doing what I do, like, I, I love to hear all of that. And I, I think, the work that you do, it has, it has so much power. You hold a lot of power 
um, in in enacting change, um, you know, finding ways to, in an unbiased, unemotional way, communicate um, people's experiences. I, I just can't even imagine how, how big of a sense of relief your clients feel when they, when they see that and when they're able to parse down uh, the, their employees' experiences into actionable data. Um, so, so again, just kudos on the work that you do. I do want to ask you this. So one of the things that I love to do on the show is I love to give the folks listening at home actionable advice. So, so even if they're not quite ready to hire Alaria, and I would absolutely recommend that if you are ready, please do so. Uh, you know, these are conversations when you're working to set a culture, particularly in a startup environment. These are conversations that you have to have early. You can't just wait until the, you already have a problem. Proactively addressing these issues is going to greatly contribute to the health of your organization. But for the folks who, you know, aren't quite there yet, or they're thinking about building their team or what have you, what is it? You, you already kind of addressed, you addressed one already where, you know, first look to yourself and, and like being conscious and cognizant of the way that you operate within your work. And, and so when we talk about like allyship and we talk about co-conspirators, you know, maybe that looks like you see somebody getting uh, talked over in a meeting and you say, hey, you know, I feel like Jane had a really good point. Uh, Jane, why don't you go ahead and elaborate on that? You know, like some of my most powerful ally moments have been when somebody without my having to ask stepped in and did something like that. Absolutely. Um, um, and, and, and I always had like, I carried deep love for the individuals that they would advocate for me in such a um, seemingly inconsequential way, but to me, it meant the world, right? Yeah, um, so, so you met, you mentioned that, you know, definitely look to yourself, see where you have opportunities to, to plug in and to get intentional about supporting those around you now. What are some other things that the folks listening at home can do to to track this information, uh, encourage psychological safeties so that people can talk about the issues that they're experiencing? Like, what are some things folks can yeah. do? I love this question. Um, and I, I want to just also plug that we have a ton of resources. So I, I you know, we, we try to be as helpful as possible. So happy to get those out to everyone um, if, if anything sounds interesting. But um, we have looked at our data set um, as, as a broad generic pool of, of information and recently have started to understand, you know, what are we seeing as trends, particularly, you know, a lot has shifted in terms of the way that we work in the last year and a half, two years, right? So we were trying to understand where are the, where are the biggest opportunities now to drive inclusion, you know, not looking at an organization, but just generically, what are we seeing in terms of, um, you know, opportunities and suggestions and recommendations and things that are actionable and things that are um, kind of, you know, just agnostic in terms of industry or company size. But um, we have reports on each category, essentially, that you can can go look at. So if, if you're particularly interested in, in recognition or respect or work-life balance, go find those. We'll tell you exactly what we're seeing. But uh, from a, a high-level recommendation, I would like to encourage you all to think of a couple of things. Um, the first thing is recognition. What has broken down the most in the last year and a half is systems of recognition. Uh, nothing to your point about, you know, calling out like, that was a great idea. You know, let's, let's hear more on that. Um, that is one point or one way of, of increasing recognition. But what is broken down is like, we no longer have, you know, if you were in an office setting and you could like walk by and like, you think about like just acknowledging someone like eye contact or like a pat on the back or like, hey, good morning. Um, or like, hey, great job in that meeting. 
those things started to add up to at least give people um, a sense of recognition and value um, and, you know, uh, uh, belonging in organizations, we've kind of removed a lot of that. And now, you know, as we're going meeting to meeting and we're only seeing each other face to face when we have to on Zoom and, um, you know, just different work dynamics, that is the thing that has fallen the quickest in terms of, um, you know, an area where we can improve upon, you have to be very, very intentional uh, and be thinking about like, how can I make sure that the folks around me know that I appreciate them and that I see their work and that I value it and that, Hey, I, you know, you're doing a great job and little things like that make such a big difference in a sense of inclusion and organization. So my first recommendation is like, think through how you're creating recognition and recognition is a generic term, but like, basically like, how are you making sure that people know that they are valued, that they're contributing, that you appreciate them. And if you can do that, you're going to make a very, very big difference in, in what we're seeing right now. The other thing is obviously, you know, a lot has shifted in terms of work-life balance and the expectations and the needs and the overall um, like responsibility of an organization to support an employee um, as their life, you know, is uniquely positioned, you know, at that moment. And so, you know, being flexible in terms of like work hours, uh, being flexible in terms of like video on, video off, you know, being flexible in terms of, you know, deliverables, um, just being being open to allowing people to do their work in a way that, that allows them to do their best work, but in in the context of their life. Um, and, and I think we're getting in a place where we're being more considerate and aware of that because we all kind of got forced into to new work environments. But um understanding people's unique context and needs goes a long way as well. And so just simply asking people if you can better support them or if this deadline works for them, getting their feedback on like, does this meeting time work for you? Like little things again, go a long way. Um, So recognition and work-life balance are certainly the ones that like have shifted a lot in the last, you know, year and a half, two years. Um, So if you're looking for opportunity zones, like building awareness and and small things there uh, goes a long way. Awesome. Well, well, I, I love that. And I, I think that that is all very actionable, uh, maybe not easy to implement advice, but certainly um, important to implement advice. And I, I would definitely encourage all of our listeners at home to think of ways that you can kind of come around and, and, and think about those issues. But then but then to your, your you know, you've made this point at multiple points. Um you know, put that into action, you know, today, tomorrow, like these are all things that you can easily do at home. So, so we're coming up on the end of our time together and I have two more questions. The, the, one of them is what's next for Alaria? Like, of course I'm now like actively, like, I want to be actively, I'm like, how can I help? Like what's going on? Tell us what's going on. How can we get Alaria into every company in the country, in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but what's, what's coming down the pipeline for you? Yeah, it's it's an exciting time for Alaria. We are um, actively participating in an accelerator, you know, for the first time, you know, as a we we ourselves are a startup, um, so sure. we understand all those those challenges and, and that journey. Y'all know how um, that goes, listeners. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you know what we're doing here. Uh, but yeah, so we're we're actively, you know. Um, scaling and, you know, shifting our technology and, you know, testing our business model and doing all the things that startups do. Um, But that's the most exciting thing is that we're focused on how do we do this at scale? How do we make sure that it's accessible to companies of all sizes around the world? Uh, How do we make sure that it's, you know, uh, not something that that requires as many resources internally for our team? Uh, And so, 
scale is, is really the, the focus ahead um, for us as, as an organization and just making sure that we are able to impact as many workplaces as possible uh, and, and they're excited about it and for it. And, and we know that we're going to be better um, positioned to do so, you know, increasingly in the, in the months ahead. So uh, excited about it, um, optimistic about our, our potential and our impact and, and certainly open to conversations if folks are in- interested or, or curious. Awesome. Well, well, I would definitely encourage everyone to to reach out and at the very least find out more. Uh, the other thing that I want to ask you, and here comes your human question. <laughs> so so I, I can tell you, um, I know from personal experience that when you talk about important topics all day and you have important thoughts all day about deep systemic, it, like it gets exhausting. Right? <laughs> it just gets it tiring sometimes. And that doesn't mean that you don't love the work and it doesn't mean that it's not important and it doesn't mean that you're not going to continue doing it. But I want to ask you this. How do you unplug, my friends? Like, what do you do? You've got, you know, an afternoon to yourself. Uh, you don't have any meetings on the on the agenda. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I I uh, have been having to think about this a lot lately, um, and finding ways to do it in shorter bits of time because, my goodness, it is so important, uh, and it is so easy to just uh, not to just be right. In, it, it is so easy. <laughs> It is uh, very easy to just do and be where my calendar says I need to be. Uh, so, you know, if in short spurts of time, I'm putting my headphones in or if, you know, depending on the setting, but I'm blaring music, um, just like listening to something to kind of distract my mind or get me moving is, is like a huge step. So if I find yeah. like 10 minutes, that's that's typically my go-to. Um, but in bigger moments of time, I do a lot of hiking and a lot of camping. And so I spend Ooh. a lot of times outdoors where my devices couldn't work if they tried. Uh, and so I, you know, nice. in, I have to work in extremes like that, right? It's like, why are you bringing yeah. your laptop? It's not even going to work. Everybody can plug into me. Nobody can plug into you me. You can't find I... me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you'll often find me off, you know, on, on long hikes and and, and kind of, you know, sleeping in the woods somewhere. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, Lisa, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to illuminate some very, very important topics for us today. Thank you so much for, for being with us here on Startup Hustle. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and friends, thank you so much, uh, you friends listening at home, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to, to listen to what Lisa has to say. I uh, also want to thank Fullscale.io. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale. They can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. They can help you bring your, your tech product to market. There are any number of things that they can help you do, um, but they are absolutely fabulous. We definitely recommend that you reach out to them. Also, keep in mind, um, you can find us, Startup Hustle Podcast on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast. We have a Startup Hustle chat group on Facebook, and we definitely invite you to check out our YouTube channel and to check out Startup Hustle TV. Thanks so much for listening, friends, and we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.